0: Hey there, you've reached First Baptist Vernon. I'm Randy Ham, one of the pastors here, and you are on our podcast where we are going through our sermon series on Hebrews, where we continue to find out it's all about Jesus. So I invite you into this week's sermon as we look at Hebrews five and six scene where the the author of Hebrews wants us to continue to mature, to go deeper into Jesus. So, not just stay at the basics and then to challenges us with a hard warning. What could happen if we're not pressing forward and we examine a little bit of what that means and the challenge of that in the context of Hebrews and the larger context of scripture. So take a look and enter in to the sermon with us. I'm going to turn it over to to Dave from the gleaners ministry local ministry as he's going to do our scripture reading for us ozzy dave over to you
1: good morning first baptist uh dave here i'm the manager at the gleaners plant in levington uh randy and you guys came out here last saturday just want to shout out a huge thank you um it's amazing to have your church this god bless and today's scripture reading yeah, I'll read for you is going to come from Hebrews. We have much to say about this, but it is hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings and be taken forward by not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and of faith in God, instruction about the cleansing rites, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And God permitting, we will do so. It is possible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the coming age, and who have fallen away to be brought back to repentance. To their loss, they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting him to public disgrace. Land that drinks in the rain, often falling on it, and that produces a crop useful to those for whom it is farmed, receives a blessing of God. But land that produces thorns and thistles is worthless and is in danger of being cursed. In the end, it will be burned. The word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be be to to God.
2: Good morning. This book will tell you, you may be missing out on what God has for you. So how do you let someone know that they aren't living up to their potential? Has anyone been watching the Canucks lately? If you could have the ear of the Canucks coach or step into that dressing room, what might you say? You know, it's one thing to give up seven goals, two games in a row to give up a 2 nil lead. All right, what might you say? Now, if you're going to children, like our children that are here or your grandchildren, you might approach them a little differently, right? Maybe a little more grace. And what would you say to a friend that you know knows better, but is missing out on something? You could turn to our passage, and I invite you to do that if you haven't yet, to turn to our passage in Hebrews. We're in Hebrews 5. And you could find some words here to help set them straight if you have a friend that's straying, And we start right here with 5.11. We have much to say about this, but it is hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. Ouch. Our passage starts with a stinging rebuke. How might this have come across to them? Well, thankfully, maybe you have another translation and we could hear it in a few different ways. The New Living Translation. There is much more we would like to say about this, but it is difficult to explain, especially since you are spiritually dull and don't seem to listen. Or the Berean literal, literally, since you have become sluggish in the hearings. I know maybe some might say that for all sorts of reasons, but any J.B. Phillips fans, some J.B. Phillips fans out there, it is not easy to explain to you since you seem so slow to grasp spiritual truth. And the message, I love the message, but it is hard to get it across to you since you've picked up this bad habit of not listening. Now, this isn't marriage advice. This is the early church we're talking about. It really surprises me in some ways. We point to them and we say, oh, couldn't we be more like the early church? Couldn't we be like them? And yet this is written to them. Our author may be thinking of the striking passage back in Isaiah 50, verse 5, which literally says, The Lord dug out my ear. We might say, Clean the wax out of my ear. Maybe that's what we need sometimes. Now we are in chapters 5 and 6 of 13 chapters of one of the most theologically weightiest books of the Bible. So if the author truly believed they weren't listening at all, I'm not so sure they would have spent so much time writing all of this out. I think this is a bit of a spur in the sides of the hearers to not to note, but to press in, to go deeper. And maybe you've used that tactic before. Oh. I don't think you could clean your room in 30 minutes. No way. You know, now, that might work with a young child. Well, yes, I can. But to a teenager, you might get, well, I don't think you could, Dad. In any case, some literary, uh, literary forms are used here, but the author has a concern. They want the hearers to focus in on. We have come to the third of the great warnings of Hebrews. And so today we're going to look at the warning that encourages us to mature, to go deeper, to grow up or else. Go higher. Go deeper with Jesus because God is inviting us and you don't want to miss out. But you could. Hebrews is clear about what the basics are, and how important it is to go beyond them. So this morning we will look at what the basics are, the milk as the author says, a hint as to what is beyond, what it means for us, as well as the hard warning right in the middle there. So are you ready for that? All right. Well, we better pray, because we we got a lot to cover. So pray with me, and we're going to jump in. (sighs) Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to worship. I thank you for grace and her her ability to lead us to you. And the voices up here. And now, Lord, I pray that we put ourselves before your word to hear what you have for us in this passage. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. So the basics. Therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taking forward to maturity, not laying again the foundation. So what is this foundation? Well, we can see repentance from acts that lead to death and of faith in God, instructions about being cleansing rites or being purified, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And God permitting, we will do so. So this, that's quite a list of the basics. That's the milk. That's the elementary teachings. Now I think you would find that many churches and pastors, would might focus on the couple of the first ones, repentance, faith in God, quite a bit and time and time again we'll focus on the last one eternal judgment but some would say that as a church today in our day that we've barely taught these basics that people are falling behind let alone moving beyond them and so do we need to brush up on these is that what the author's saying or do we need to leave them behind which is what the author's also saying and then as a pastor I realize that there's many of us that have all of these down pat. You look at that list and you say, yeah, I do understand those. Those are those are the basics. And while others are new to Scripture and would need to have some of these topics touched on, and others which we have ignored as a church overall. So I hear this as an encouragement to me personally, not to preach all of these right now, because we would be here for a long time, but to ensure that we cover them on occasion, come back to them. Yet, the author's main concern here, and this is what we're going to press in on, is that we don't stay on those, but we go beyond them to mature. Now, Hannah's a great piano teacher, great music teacher, also teaches some piano, And one thing she taught me is not to be a beginner. Now, I'm not going to go and play the piano for you. You can be thankful for that. But what I mean by that, not to be a beginner, is often when you sit down and you play a new piece, you can play from the start. And the start sounds pretty good because you've gotten that down pat. But then you get to a more complicated part. And and then what do we do? next time we sit down, we can go back to the beginning. Ah, because that sounds, we know that part. And so we play that part, and we spend a lot of time playing the, until we get to the hard part again, and then we get bogged down in the hard part. Ah, might give up. When we come back to it, do we start at the hard part, the part we need to work on? Ah, a beginner, a beginner, like they say in, in music, thi- well, music teaching, they would go back again to the beginning, to the easy part, and start with that. Instead of saying, oh, I need to work on this hard part. I need to work on this struggling. I need to struggle through this and wrestle with this until it becomes easier. And then I'll be able to play from the beginning right through to that part. Does that make sense? So any of you who want to pick up piano, there's a hint for you. How to go for it. When we look at the basics, we can focus in on those and say, there, there. Yeah, we know these. Some of the harder things we might wrestle with and say, I'm not sure if I want to go into those things. So now what's beyond? What's beyond the basics? Well, there's a hint right here. Verse 13. Anyone who lives on milk, still being an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. Now, can you remember when we talked about truly nourishing righteousness? Righteousness. We focused in on this back earlier in the year. The basics of our faith only provide a foundation for us to go on and live these truths out in our lives, being the people of God in this world, living out the righteousness of God. Putting things to rights is how the Brits would say it. God has come to put things to rights. And God's plan is not just for us, to sit back on the basics knowing that we're going to heaven and then just sit around and sing some songs and eat casseroles until then is it no we get to join in with the work of jesus's righteousness and his kingdom which means deepening our relationship with jesus now that's a joy if we want to be all about jesus Then we need to know him and what he's all about. And it will mean to join him in the work of making all things new. Bringing his good news, binding up the brokenhearted, bringing sight to the blind, freedom for the oppressed. These are his words. If there is injustice around us, the righteousness of God ought to spur us into action. And this is why we won't stop talking about loving our indigenous neighbors or things like caring for creation around us, facing the injustices we see and loving the poor, all as part of living holy and righteous, healthy lives, truly nourishing righteousness. Now, for some people, that means deconstructing some of the faith of their youth and having to rebuild with this idea that faith is much more complex than just the basics, just the foundation. Hebrews tells us that we are to go deeper, not just stay with the basics. But then our passage takes a bit of a dark turn with a very stern warning. You probably heard it and thought, whoa. I know when we were talking about preaching through Hebrews, Carl said, well, I'm curious as to how you're going to deal with that. Hebrews 6, it is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the earthly gift, heavenly gift, sorry, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the coming age, and who have fallen away to be brought back to repentance, to their loss, they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting him to public disgrace. So how do we deal with a hard passage like this? What is the author getting at? Now let me say, it is never a good idea just to read one passage and assume we understand it out of its context and some good exegesis. Our view is limited so how do we apply context 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 to this if we want to pull out the meaning of the passage that's what exegesis means we don't want to isogeat put a meaning into it we want to pull one out it means that we have to understand its immediate and the larger context of scripture we have to take both of these into account so many would read this passage right away and say if one is a christian and falls away it's impossible to be saved But is that what it really says within the larger context of Scripture? One of the more challenging words that we find in this passage is the word impossible. Impossible. Now, it comes from a Greek word, adunatos. Now, you might have remembered dunamai. We have talked about that before. Dunamai is the word for power, which we get the English word dynamite from. Exactly. Explosive. God's explosive power. Dunamis. This is adunatos. You see what they did there? The ah makes it the opposite. Ah, the opposite of dunatos. The opposite of powerful. The opposite of dynamite. So this word means powerless, unable, or at times impossible. So it is There is a lack of power for those once enlightened then who have fallen away to be restored, refreshed, renewed to repentance. Some of the other meanings of the Greek words there. So is this saying that we lack the power to repent because of our pride if we fall away? Which is true. God would have to draw us back. Or that we lack the power to restore another to repentance. It's just one way that this could be read. That we lack the power to restore someone who has fallen away. Notice, in any case, that it is about repentance. This doesn't use the word salvation here. The larger context of Scripture also has to be taken into account, including who this is all about. And this is all about... Jesus. So what does Jesus say? We can take a look at what Jesus says. And when we see that, we see that Jesus in Mark 10 looks at his disciples and says, With man it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. So is our author in Hebrews really trying to go against what Jesus said? Well, yeah, Jesus said some things, but I know better. Is that what the author is doing? I don't think so. Maybe we need to take the context of the whole scripture and see what might else what else might be happening. Throughout Hebrews, we see our author using very strong language for literary effect, and adunatos, a Greek word for impossible, is known throughout greek literature as an extreme hyperbole used at times to drive home a point and so theologians throughout history have debated these verses time and time again they want to get it right here or here but perhaps as some have said the strength of the language is meant as a rhetorical device one says this overstatement for effect was another frequent feature of powerful rhetoric the assertion that certain people are crucifying again the son of god is clearly not a literal possibility but achieves maximum rhetorical impact in suggesting how unthinkable the rejection of christ and his benefits should be is the statement in Hebrews 6 4 that it is impossible to repent after falling away an exaggeration designed to put the perils that face the readers in the strongest possible terms? It's just a question. Now, some would say, of course, that it's not about the context, but it's about our theology that matters. And some would say, well, if you could fall away, well, what about the perseverance of the saints, pastor? Isn't that the way things are supposed to be? And we get into this Arminian versus Calvinistic debate. And if you want to go further in this, I'd be happy to at coffee time. I enjoy some of these debates, though you'll see what I think about it as I continue preaching. Those Arminians, there are many in the history of our faith that would believe that one can come to salvation and then lose it. And they would hold up this passage as a place, how do you disagree with that? This is a key marker. Of course, most of them would say you could once again then repent and come back to Jesus and to full salvation. So this passage would give them a conundrum. Calvinists, on the other hand, would see at other points in Scripture that someone who once comes to saving faith in Jesus would, as Jesus himself says, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. That we have an eternal security as we believe in christ and they would say this passage has to be taken in context with jesus and paul and that hebrews must be talking about someone who has only tasted of faith but not truly believed and yet that's hard to really think that's what he's saying either in our desire now let me say this in our desire to know clearly we can be tempted to encamp ourselves in a a school of thought that we see and say, ha, now I know I am correct, and we feel better about ourselves that way. But Jesus has always challenged a security in our own understanding of all aspects of faith. Perhaps we're better to wrestle with each passage as it comes and trust Jesus in the midst of it. And if we do, we can find ourselves in good company. You might recognize this fella, and I love how. Uh-oh, Where is he? There he is. I love how. Oh, he's not there. He's he's on the he's on that one. I'm not sure how I messed that up. I'm sorry, but this is Spurgeon. You could maybe picture him in your mind. I love how Spurgeon writes about this debate. We had better f- better far be inconsistent with ourselves than with when with the inspired word. I have been called an Arminian Calvinist or a Calvinistic Arminian, and I'm quite content so long as I can keep close to my Bible. Isn't that a good word? Because Scripture will make us wrestle as we go deeper, no doubt about it. Now, when Spurgeon said that, he was preaching on heart woundedness, where the prophet Isaiah says that the Messiah comes to heal the brokenhearted. See, Spurgeon was a pastor, not just a theologian, not just a preacher, not just a preacher. So let me speak to you as a pastor, like Spurgeon would, not just as an exegetical theologian as we look at this and wrestle with it, or even as a preacher. Because often, this passage causes people heartache. Because you may have a friend or a loved one, a child, a grandchild who has tasted of the goodness of God and then has fallen away. And I could see why people can tend to avoid Hebrews and avoid a passage like this. If the lesson that one gets from the simple reading of it is that their child or their loved one has no hope of coming back to Jesus. As a pastor and as a theologian, let me tell you, that's not what this passage is about. The author wants the readers not to miss out on the deeper life in Jesus. Hebrews is written to first century Jews who have given their lives to Jesus and are tempted to throw that faith in Jesus away. We've talked about this in previous chapters, do you remember? Going back to the law, going back to Moses, that which was comfortable for them. Ah, I know those rules. I know that faith. That can make me feel secure. And they're tempted to give up the freedom they have in Christ, perhaps because there's so many uncertainties and there's a having to listen to the Holy Spirit and figure this out if they follow after Jesus. And the author of Hebrews is warning them not to fall back. The image of slapping Jesus in the face isn't strong enough here. Because it would be like re-crucifying the Son of God, the author says. Is there any way you could repent of that? This is the warning the author is giving. Paired alongside the reality that they seem to be resting on the beginning knowledge faith. Oh, we've got the basics down pat. We know it. Probably much like someone who says, oh yeah, I was in Sunday school. I know all those stories. I understand it all. But it's not just about knowing, understanding the beginnings. It's about experiencing life, true life in Jesus, which is an ever-expanding, ever-deepening relationship. And the encouragement and warning is not to give up on Jesus because you stall out on the basics. So whether this is a rhetorical, hyperbolic use of language or whether the author is warning of a very real threat to their ability to repent, don't jump to conclusions and apply this passage to everyone or to every situation. Don't take it out of the context it's written in, specifically here, and then the context of the larger scripture passages like Romans 8 to 10, and even Jesus in Matthew 19, where when he talked about things, all things being possible, he had just explained how hard it was. For a rich man to enter heaven as hard as a camel going through the eye of a needle. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, Who then can be saved? That was their response. And Jesus, take heart in this. That's when Jesus said, With God, all things are possible. So our passage today is not about us being able to judge who is in and who is out who has wandered away too far and can't come back let's just think of the prodigal son story a story jesus told through everything in the father's face walked away and the father was there waiting it's not about us being right it's about an encouragement a warning to not stay in the basics but to go deeper further up and further in into the mysteries of Jesus. Now our passage ends with the example of the land. And I'm winding down here. I'm close. Verse 7 says, The land drinks in. Is that it? Yeah, the land drinks in the rain, often falling on it, and produces a crop useful for those for whom it is farmed, receives the blessing of God. But land that produces thorns and thistles is Worthless as in, is in danger of being cursed. In the end, it will be burned. Again, this is a warning, not a condemnation. Living in the truly nourishing righteousness of Jesus is to be a blessing to those around you, not to produce a life of bitterness and pain. That's worthless. John Chrysostom back 400 A.D.s, comments on this passage. Listen to what he says. I love it. Worthless and near to being cursed. Oh, how great consolation in this world. For he said, near to being cursed, not cursed. And not only by this did he encourage them, but also by what follows. For he did not say, which shall be burned but what its end is to be burned if he continues in this way to the end he didn't see condemnation here but warning with the ever-present grace of God offering a turnaround so what is Hebrews all about it's all about Jesus and Jesus is all about offering us true life, abundant life. And unfortunately, just like in the early church, often we can get confused and miss what God is offering. So let's listen to this book, together as a church. Let's not stay at the beginning, but let's go further up, further and let's go deeper. Let's go deeper with Jesus. Deeper into the love of Jesus, exploring how this affects our hearts, our lives, our community, our world. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, we ask that you would show us what it means to go deeper with you. We ask that you would teach us your joy, your love, your righteousness being worked out in this world. Show us to grieve what you grieve and to celebrate what you celebrate. May we be a people for your name, a people that look like you to those around us. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. invite you to open your hands for us, to receive what God has for us in our closing, closing blessing and benediction. So go in the ever-deepening, vast, unmeasured love of Jesus, spreading that love from shore to shore. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Go in peace.